Hey, everybody. How's it going tonight? Hey, What's Sailor. up, Sailor? What's hey. up? Oh, there's so many people on tonight. Oh, I'm so excited. You guys, we've got Paul Hletko, friend of the show from Few Spirits in Evanston, Illinois. And someone give me a drum roll. We've got Maggie Campbell. Hey. Woo, woo. <laughs> Maggie. <sighs> Yes, coming, coming from in. the islands. Yeah, coming in from Barbados. <laughs> or one island. <laughs> <laughs> so nice to have you here, um, both of you. Super excited to talk about um, spirits. I'm not going to say just whiskey tonight. And uh, prog rock. We are, uh, here we are. This is part two of a series that Ed and I accidentally created was, wasn't supposed <laughs> to happen, but here we are. We dummies thought we could do a show about yes, and that would be the end of it. And boy, were we wrong. I feel like we looked like deer in headlight when we were recording that show. I'm actually, I'm actually surprised that you guys only got an hour out of that show. Because, like, you I could... You could have gone on and on and of on. Of course, that was the point. We were so freaked out. Um, I love Yes so much. But yeah, we're going to talk about prog rock tonight. We're going to touch back on Yes a little bit. And then we're going to talk about ELO. But before we do that, as always, just a little bit of news real quick. Um, I don't know if you guys heard uh, the news about Jackie Zycan and her new project, which is really, really exciting. Um Head over to AmericanWhiskeyMag.com to read the story about um, the new brand Hidden Barn um, that Jackie revealed in an uh, interview with Maggie Kimbrell. Um, super, super excited. You're going to recognize um, some of the people mentioned um, as partners in this project. I cannot wait to see what she does. So congratulations to Jackie. Um, more news to come on that, I'm sure. Um, and then in music news, all right, raise your hands or say me if you've seen the last season, the current season of Stranger Things. I have not finished. Okay. I'm not going to. Okay. Then I won't spoil anything. This is why I asked. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I was talking about the, uh, the scene with the guitar, though. Yes. <laughs> so, okay. We know that. So they split up this season into two like two chunks right and we had some time in between the beginning and the end and we know um that uh there was kate bush's um amazing amazing track from the 80s um running up that hill you know it's what charted at number one and all these new fans were discovering her which is so awesome and i hope um, all of us old people will be kind to the kids just discovering these things. I've been in a hey, few heated arguments about that. I was discovering that song myself. I do not remember that song. Oh my God. I was obsessed with her as a it kid. It was new to me. Roots of prog rock. <laughs> <laughs> See, there we yeah. go. Yeah. It was my daughter who came up and, and she's like, dad, there's this song and Kate Bush It's blowing up. It's from the eighties. You remember this song? I'm like, no, actually. I don't. <laughs> So for me with Stranger Things, there's the scene with the cradle on fire. And so I've been singing Brian Eno for like, like ever since I've started watching it with this new season. Just babies I, on fire in my head all the time. 
That's it. Yes, I love it. That they, I mean, I think they always do a great job, but I think they really hit it out of the park with this season and the music. I mean, oh my god, they went for it, and in particular. Um, and so I'm not going to say too much because you have to watch the end of the season, but Metallica's Master of Puppets is now blowing up and Metallica is about to have a whole new legion of fans. And that is thanks to Eddie. I, I want to say so many things and I won't. Um, Eddie Munson. Uh, let me tell you, he was the exact boyfriend that I wanted when I was a kid in the eighties. <laughs> he was exactly who I, who I dated and who I went for. Um, I, I won't lie. I might have a little crush on him, even though I could probably be his grandmother at this point. That's creepy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, it's, you know, back in the day. So in today's time, it wouldn't be inappropriate. My husband's a Hessian. So when I see it, I'm into it too. So. <laughs> okay, good. I feel so much better. <laughs> yes. And hooray for anyone old enough to know what a Hessian is. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> an Eddie Munson type. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, yeah, just everything, everything. Um, so yeah, go out and get yourself a Hellfire Club t-shirt. They are for sale. Um, or make one. That's what we used to do, right? When we were kids. Yeah, iron on letters. There you go. Puffy paint. Um, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So that is uh, a little bit of touching on what's happening in the world. Um, and I'm now going to head straight to the drinking portion of the show. Um, and we'll go around the room and ask everybody what they're drinking and why. Um, Paul, do you want to start? Sure. Well, I am drinking our brand new, just released collaboration with metal band Black Rebel Motorcycle Club. Just released uh, last Friday. And uh, it's drinking quite well, I got to say. Awesome. I'm so jealous. I have a bottle on order. Hopefully it will be in my hand soon. I um I saw the news and I you had mentioned it a little bit about a year and a half ago to us in passing and I thought, oh, I really hope that happens. They're one of my favorite bands. So when I saw the news, I set my calendar and I was up at eight o'clock that morning purchasing the bottle online. I cannot yeah. wait. It, it is a tasty, tasty pour, I gotta say. Mm-hmm. I so just hope I can find one. You got to buy. You should have just secured. Why didn't you just? You got to put it on the calendar, and you got to get the I bottle. Oh, I know. I know. <laughs> Come on, Ed. <laughs> Maggie, what about you? I am just having a highball of Mountgate Black Barrel Rum and Tonic. Um, you know, I have to rehydrate being down here in the warm weather, um, which actually. I guess it's summer, so I always like to tease that it's cooler here than it was back where I lived in Massachusetts in the summer. So it's oh it's 85 Fahrenheit every day, day after day. Um, but yeah, got to rehydrate. I no longer like you, Maggie. <laughs> <laughs> no shit, it's like 100 degrees here. And yeah, yeah. It's so Every, warm everyone thinks it's like, oh, it's it must be so hot there. I'm like, actually, it's just mild all the time. Mm-hmm. But yes, have to rehydrate after being in a distillery all day. So yes. Yes. So I'm curious to hear a little more about this black barrel. What's where does it get that name from? Does it have to do with the type of barrel you're it's using? Or yeah, yeah. Or? So uh yeah, so Trudy and our master blender on that um utilizes a bit more um barrels with char to it. So a little bit more fresh barrels, which in rum it's very traditional to receive used barrels and really highlight 
sort of that, um, I think where with Barbados rum, which is not sweetened, a lot of the flavors are very, very savory. I think people aren't always prepared for that. Molasses as a source has a very earthy flavor. So when you ferment it, it's, it's quite savory. And then using the older oak, it's even more kind of this savory complexity. So she kind of bumps it up with a bit more char on the black barrel style. So it shows a little more oak, a little more of that oak sweetness. Um, so yeah, it kind of has a little bit more kick for that. Cool. That sounds delicious. Is that available in the States, Maggie? It is. It is. Okay. And to my American palate, you know, I'm used to a little more oak uh, and I quite like it. So I'll make like old fashions with it with just like the tiniest touch of like white uh, creme de cacao to give it just mm. that little bit of like butteriness to it. And Yum. Yeah. I play around with that one a lot. Jeez, that sounds amazing. Mm. <laughs> I love it. I'm going to go look for that. That sounds incredible. I am a big fan of Trudy Ann and uh, just I'm so proud of what you guys are doing there. And it's just so exciting. Just so exciting. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's it's amazing to be a part of a place that's 319 years old. Um, <laughs> and, you know, a lot of the folks who work there have worked there for 30, you know, sometimes 40 years and just the industry knowledge and they've seen, you know, everything and know so much and are still keeping it like incredibly relevant and fresh, but really classic. Again, always a dry style of rum. Tridians, you know, all about the art of the blend for the classic Mount Gay products. And then she has a really good time with the Master Blender series. So, you know, always kind of sticking with the classics and sticking with the time. It's cool. That's amazing. I'm, I'm a, I was a big fan of the brand already and, and now even more so when I saw you were headed there. I got so excited. Thanks. I can't yeah. wait to see what you guys are. What I just can't like fast forward five years. I can't wait to see what's what's going to be <laughs> in the bottle. It's really exciting. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing, Matt. What about you? So I had every intention of pulling double duty tonight and doing both whiskey and rum, <laughs> since we are expanding the metal rock and whiskey a little bit to do rum tonight. But, uh, and for the life of me, and I told my co-host this off the air, that I had a sample for the longest time of a Mount Gay barrel pick that we had done, me and some of my older co-workers. We went to a tasting with um, the great Alan Smith, who um, preceded uh, Trudy and his master blender for Mount Gay. Yeah, and uh, I had this barrel sample for years, and we moved from New Jersey to Florida, and I tore my house apart looking for it, but I have no idea where it went. But just know that I had good intentions to bring that on and taste it here. Um, but uh, few, I definitely have few, and that's what I'm drinking tonight. I have the cold cut few, uh, which, of course, uh, I'm sure Paul can more eloquently uh, speak to this than I can, but uh, two of my favorite things in the world, whiskey and coffee. And uh, it's just very, very well balanced as all of Paul's products are. It's it's a perfect marriage. And and believe it or not, and this was not done on purpose, I'm actually also drinking with it as sort of a companion, a smoked German beer. And they complement each other extremely well. I'm actually getting a lot of great, you know, a little bit more deeper coffee notes after going back and forth between the smoked beer and the and the cold cut, believe it or not. So a uh, few cold cut for me tonight. Very, very delicious. Yep. Nice. Still yep. gotta sample that one too. 
Ed, what about you? Me? Well, I'm repping the greater Chicagoland area tonight since Paul came on board. So I've got my Cubs t-shirt on, and I've got also a bottle of a few uh, 10th anniversary four-grain straight bourbon whiskey right here. Um, so I am a huge fan. I am such a fan of this whiskey. I had my daughter uh, go to one of the liquor stores near her and, and mule a couple for me because they are out <laughs> in my area. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I've, I've, I'm a big fan of four-grain uh, whiskeys. I've tried a few uh, other ones, no pun intended, and um, I've generally liked them, but this one's a really great example. Um, it's a 93 proof, uh, and it's just freaking delicious. I don't know what else I can say about it <laughs> other than I really, really like it. And, Paul, you did a good job, buddy, on this. Thanks, brother. Awesome. I will concur. It's delicious. I've got my unopened bottle there. We already killed our other one, so I'm not cracking that one for a while. Tonight I decided that since you fuckers couldn't get it together to drink some goddamn Mountain Gay, that I would. <laughs> I tried. So I am drinking a Mountain Gay Extra Old, um, which I like very much. Um, and as Maggie stated, it's more savory than sweet. I'm not a I'm I'm not a sweets person at all. I'm definitely. Um, more of a savory and bitter person. I do like things that are very oaky as well. Um, and so this, this one really hits the nose. Um, so it's a blend of eight to 15 year old uh, rum and um, it's mainly of double pot distillate. So you get some crispiness to it. Uh, so it's like clean and bright, but then also deep and old i know that sounds really weird it's it's difficult to to really explain the it's just complex um it's 43 percent, and um it really is just i think it's a beautiful showcase of of mount gay of the older stuff i really really like this a lot thanks yeah i like the way that you describe it it does have that that freshness and that brightness and like um you know, that kind of classic grapefruit kind of quality to it. Um, and then on that back palette, it's got like, for me, Mount Gay has this like back palette confidence where it just like sits on your back palette. And that's the like old flavor he mentioned yes, to me. Yes, yes. <laughs> and it's just like, it just comes with like, we have such high rates of evaporation here. The concentration in barrel is really significant, especially of like longer chain. Um, elements and that's giving you like that confident back palate weight that to me is just you can't get it without that yeah i'm trying to imagine how much rum is left in a 15 year old barrel there for christ's it's sake probably at most half full <laughs> that's what i would imagine it's and it's so humid what we're losing is alcohol whereas if you you know age in sort of a drier climate you can lose a lot more water but nope <laughs> it's all alcohol so the proof really <laughs> It goes down, the volume goes down, but, you know, Mount Gay is really special in that all of our stocks are aged here on island, so when it says it's Barbados rum, you, you are actually buying something made in Barbados. Yeah, I re I, I'll tell you, I like the proof. I, I am not a big fan of, 
I don't understand what's going on lately with these like 150 proof like this and not really but almost like just insane I want I don't want to burn my esophagus out I want to be able to taste the whiskey yes I want full flavor but I think that's and Matt and I have talked about this for years on the show that's the that's the art of the blend right you get beautiful full flavor and complexity but doesn't have to burn your face off so I really happen to like this and I agree with you about it's yeah just it's like you get all this citrusy but fruity and it's crisp and clean and then there's that finish that depth it's like it's like a long music note I hate to make that pun but really like just lingering echoing and echoing it's just really special is it like an intricately constructed guitar solo from prog rock (laughs) you know i think that's that's a that's very astute paul (laughs) that is the first time that sense has ever been said on the planet (laughs) (laughs) it's very astute paul (laughs) (laughs) you're wicked smart (laughs) all right Enough of that crap. Let's talk about <laughs> let's talk about music. But first, let's listen to a little bit of yellow. So we're here to talk about prog rock. We're here to talk about ELO. Um, first, let's define for any young children that may be listening. Probably not. Or if you've just been under, okay, Matt, <laughs> fair enough. Um, what the hell is prog rock? Progressive rock, also known as classic rock or symphonic rock. And I completely disagree with that. Um, it was called art rock for a while. Um, it developed in the UK um, and then later came to the US during the 60s and then peaked in the early 70s. So um, Emerson, Lake and Palmer, ELO, yes, these are all great examples of, I think, the category of prog rock. Um, it's based on fusions of styles, um, approaches, and um, basically you can sum it up by saying and maybe you guys will agree or disagree that it involves a continuous move between formalism and eclecticism. So in other words, prog rock is a category used to define a band that you can't define. It sounds like basically. (laughs) I'm I'm with Ed on that. Yes. (laughs) It's like trying to nail jello to a wall. It just doesn't work. I mean, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, Because none of these bands, like, you know, we can throw Rush into the mix too. Um, No, I wouldn't call them prog rock. We talked about this. Nah. All right. I'm not going (laughs) to resurrect a debate here. But uh, yeah, listening to you all, it is hard to pigeonhole them into any one real category. They such an eclectic mix, like you say. Yes. So we started off this series talking about yes, 
Um, so I want to ask um, Paul and Maggie, tell me your thoughts on the band Yes. Love, like, um, do you think they're a great example of this genre? I'll defer to Maggie because I think she's much more of the prog rock fan than I am. I'm kind of here at the peanut gallery. Uh, yeah, I was I was joking when Paul said, hey, are you interested in talking about Prague? I'm like, the thing I hid for so long? Yeah, sure, I'll talk about it publicly. Um, yeah, for me, I think, yes. I mean, obviously, huge evolution over their time uh, recording. I do think that they are a great shorthand for recognizing prog rock. I think there's something about prog rock that even from like the Canterbury scene on is kind of like, like a, like a little bit of a reach. It's not necessarily, even though we hear them as pop songs on the radio, it's not what you would expect to be a pop song on the radio, which for me is like the difference between Rush and someone like, you know, going way out there like Klaatu, like Klaatu singing about wizards in space isn't going to be like what's going to end up on the radio necessarily. (laughs) There's always a reach to it, but I think ELO, yes, those are like very like if you want to crystallize it down into like sort of a classic, that's really, really good for it. But I'm like, I, you know, I'm not really into like binaries like this is, this isn't. So even when I hear like some of the, you know, stuff from Canterbury scene, I can like hear like early Mark Ronson playing guitar on Hurdy Gurdy Man in Donovan and be like, okay, well, that's an inspiration for Prague, even though clearly it's psychedelia. You hear Sid Barrett's Pink Floyd and you're like, okay, these are the roots of Prague, mm-hmm. even though clearly it's psychedelia. So, you know, and then you get into the like, I do like what you said about the sort of, you said it was a between technical and what was the other? Formalism and eclecticism. And I really like that because for me, when Prague gets a little too formal, it's not mm-hmm. for me. Like, Dream Theater is clearly Prague. Um, you know, speaking of, you know, Black women in the industry, Oceans of Summer are clearly Prague. But for me, it goes so technical, it kind of loses the eclecticism, which, like, is kind of, it has, like, an element of fun that I'm really into, which ELO, like, is perfect for. But not a jam band. Exactly. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Careful there, Taylor. <laughs> <laughs> so I, but I think you brought up a good point when you texted me, Paul. I do think that it might be difficult sometimes to decipher the difference, but I think that's what makes prog rock so unique is that does it sound sometimes like a little bit like a, like a jazz, you know, like jazzy where they just kind of play off each other, like jam bandy. Yes, but I think prog rock has a formula. That's what I think is such a, makes it so unique. To me, that one of the differences is, at least for me in my mind, prog, the musicians are trying to play it the exact same way every single time. And if you're a fan, you're, you're, you know, you're the guy sitting in the audience with his arms crossed and making comments like, you know, on the record, you were you recorded this at 109 beats, <laughs> but here you clearly dropped that flat six, and you're playing at 107 beats per minute. Um, 
Whereas I feel like Mars Volta, one of the greats of modern Prague, who I love, challenges all of that. <laughs> Fair point. I mean, I would punch someone in the face if they said that shit. Yeah, I mean, like, just listen to the damn music. Man. Me, but yeah, there is an element to Prague, which I, I, you can find it in any fandom that becomes very like compulsive. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm not a fan of that. It needs to be more like integrated and natural, your love of Prague, instead of, yes, the compulsive control Prague cop that Paul just described. <laughs> <laughs> Prague cop. <laughs> Hello, gents. I'm the Prague cop. And let me tell you. I'd hand that copy of Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, Step away I'll, from the sequencer. <laughs> I, I, the reason why I wanted to focus a little bit on ELO is I figured most everyone listening is going to be familiar with ELO. And I think it's interesting how mainstream, I don't want to say mainstream, but popular, I guess, and accepted their music became, which I think helped uplift the whole category. But I think from with ELO, much like with Yes, and we talked about this, we talked about the movie Legend. And if you listen to the soundtrack of that movie, I think you get to see the exploration and I think that happened with Xanadu, which we'll talk about as well. Um, I okay, First of all, I have to tell you guys a funny story. So I made this playlist for the bar. And it's called Yacht Rock because, come on, I'm like literally a five-minute walk to an actual yacht club where people actually live on the yachts and they walk over to the bar. And I'm in Florida, and it's called a mermaid bar, so fuck it. I make my Yacht Rock playlist. Well, I snuck Xanadu in there just for the hell of it. Because I think it's funny to walk around and all of a sudden, like, I'm not paying attention and I'm serving cocktails (laughs) when I hear Xanadu. (laughs) And one of my younger bartenders is like, what is this? I'm like, oh, you don't know the movie Xanadu? So I start looking up, like, I'm like, oh, but, you know, it was this really amazing movie, and I'm trying to explain, like, how what's her face was you know she was the heartthrob and all the guys had crushes on her and all of us gals thank you wanted to be her and so i'm showing him like stills from the movie and i'm like what the fuck (laughs) (laughs) so so i went back and watched pieces of it and i was like oh my god this is the worst movie but i thought it was amazing (laughs) but the soundtrack was was great it's a visual feast (laughs) such a weird i'm reading the premise to him and i'm like okay i'm just gonna stop reading right now <laughs> yeah ashamed. first cassette tape i ever bought was the xanadu soundtrack oh when i was a kid God. i saved up my allowance money i went and bought that album <laughs> i love the song all over the world by uh, elo which happens to be on that album yeah i mean they did xanadu that's yeah you know <laughs> yeah so so i just thought you know I think they're a good central place to kind of focus on for this discussion. Um, so let me just give you, give everybody like a quick background on them. And then I figured I kind of wrote up a little like one piece about each of their hits, which I think is interesting to talk about a band like this with hits, but that's why I chose them. So they're um, an English band. They formed in Birmingham in 1970 and, um, and there it's funny because it the way i i read like when i do my research i go to like several different places to try and vet as much of the information as possible and everywhere um and i don't know if this is just like such long time pr but 
um, ELO was formed by songwriters and multi-instrumentalists. <laughs> okay. Um, and the music is characterized by a fusion of pop, again, I disagree, classical arrangements, and futurist iconography. Okay. Um, so you had Jeff Lynn and Roy Wood and drummer Bev Bevan. These were the guys who founded the band. Um, and then Wood left in 1972. Um, and Lynn, Jeff Lynn became the band's sole leader, um, doing the arranging and producing of every album and writing nearly all of the original material. Um, so <clears throat> just to touch on the big hits. So I wonder, you know, if there's, I feel like everybody knows these songs, right? A lot of these songs. And I'm going to go, I'm going to start with Mr. Blue Sky. Mr. Blue Sky came off of their album Out of the Blue in 1977. This was not a very well-known song. It didn't even chart. Well, it made it to the charts number 39. Um, but it's been sampled so many times. Um, Common sampled it in one of his songs. It's It's got this notoriety now. Um, since I, 1977. If I can interject something, I think most of our young listeners, which you were referring to either, would probably know this song because it was the opening tune for Guardians of the Galaxy too. If you remember. Good yeah. point. And That's it was true. Big in Eternal Sunshine. Yes. And it was originally slated to be the opening credits for the American version of The Office. Oh. But it got oh, cut at the last that. moment wow. because another show premiered with it. <laughs> huh. Yeah, that was originally going to be, instead of the little song they have for the opening of Scranton, that was going to be Blue Sky. How funny. That's Shout out to Angela Kinsey and <laughs> Office Ladies. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been that, that would have been really cool and really apropos, I think. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um, another big hit of theirs comes from 1976. I'm kind of all over the place with the timeline here. Um, Living Thing from uh, A New World, one of their most popular songs, but it didn't crack the top 10. I mean, everybody knows the song, right? Unbelievable. Yes, mm -hmm. one of my favorites. I'm going to play a piece of it. Yes, please. Of a wave, it's like magic. All oh, rolling and riding and slipping and sliding, it's magic. And you and your sweet design, you took me. Such a great song. I love that song. Gets me every time. Love it. So I feel like, you know, most people know that song. Another really popular hit of theirs, Evil Woman. Probably my favorite song of theirs. One of my top 100 favorite songs ever. I absolutely love this song. This is from 1975. And it became, it was, this is their first worldwide hit also. 
Um, and the funny thing is, Lynn said in an interview, this song was the quickest he had ever written. He wrote it in 30 minutes, and it was actually just a filler for Face the Music album. Um, so it placed in the top 10 on both sides of the Atlantic by 1976 and became a hit again in 1978 when it was featured on the ELO EP. So they, <laughs> they got two rounds with the song. I mean, Evil Woman is such a great, I think it's a great song. Well, funny story about that song. Um, for years and years, I don't know how long it was, I always thought that song was Believer Woman. <laughs> Talk about misheard lyrics. <laughs> Until I finally, I don't know, when I was later in life. You, you Believer know, I Woman, I, you. I it was evil. It's like, Evil Woman? I thought it was... <laughs> Believer woman, <laughs> <laughs> you got it. It's got the right amount of syllables. There, yeah, you know? <laughs> it's true. It does. Yeah, I love that song. That's 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 definitely one of my faves of theirs. But yeah, another good one. <laughs> another one is um, "Telephone Line" from a New World record in 1976. This song will make me cry. Like, get choked up and I have to, like, I got to choke it down and, like, look away and be like, <clears throat> every time I hear it, I don't know why. But the chorus kills me. There's something about this song that sounds so sad and desperate. Oh, my God, this song. I, I can't even sometimes. Is everybody familiar with this song? Yes. Yes. Or do I have to cry on the podcast? No, you don't have to <laughs> We won't make you cry on the podcast. <laughs> but I like that you mentioned like the like there is something about their sound and like you know, I'm I'm a big analog fan and just the way they recorded and the two amps they had and like the warmth of the sound like you can't even make like that richness anymore it seems like you know, and I know when, you know, Jeff has gone back and recorded some of the tracks, he's he's used digital Pro Tools through, like, a analog desk and to keep some of the warmth. But, you know, for me, it will never, like, sound the same as, as when it is kind of has those imperfect moments and it's not all completely click-tracked. And, yeah. You know, it's it's got yeah. that sound that, like, when you, it's so much more emotional. You know what, that's, if someone said to me, how do you describe their sound in like textural ways? For me, I've always felt like they sound very close to you. I don't know how yeah. to expand on that quite, but they're close. But also they're the sound of like laying on warm shag carpeting. <laughs> I love that. But like in a that. good way, like, you know, because the carpet was kind of all around you, especially when you're little. I used to lay on the shag carpet with my feet up against the wall and I'd lay there and like chew bubble gum and listen to music you know listen to my records my 45s and I just it gives me that that feeling of being enveloped in the sound and it being very close yeah just yeah. Lynn's voice and the harmonies are just Ugh. all fantastic Ugh. it's like a yeah. hot toddy feeling you know yes. <laughs> <laughs> they certainly yeah, they, oh, sorry, they certainly have a way to make you forget about what you're doing at the time that you're listening. Yeah, and Prague is really transporting. I think that is part of that, like, fantastical side of it, is it is super transporting. And you're right, you, for, you forget where you are. You're dancing in your car, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, it, there, it definitely, I feel like 
whoever was the first guy to paint on the side of his van like the the unicorn with a wizard and a sword like dancing through the fucking galaxy was listening to prog rock <laughs> you know i think that's like the that's like the the visual that i get <laughs> or the the animal blankets we used to hang on our walls you know yeah. what i'm talking about <laughs> um so there's also Turn to Stone from Out of the Blue, uh, 1977. And I feel like even in 1977, this song to me is like, oh, they're quintessentially already classic. They're already the, a classic of themselves with this song. Yeah, I then, see that. Then there's Sweet Talking Woman, um, also Out of the Blue. Um, and that's the fourth single from the double album. It was considered to be pop at the time, which I'm, it's a little confusing. Um, I want to play the intro though, because I've like, I guess I can understand ish, but I don't think what they were, I don't think what they were putting out was so far out there that when this song comes out, they're like, okay, now they're pop. I don't really get that. Let me play their intro for you guys. One of the things I like about them is that sometimes when the song starts, you have no idea where they're going. And then they're like, whip, we're over here now. And I'm like, oh, that's not what I expected. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, Do Ya Again. I mean, this is everybody knows this song, right? From New World Record 1976. This is. And don't you think I feel like this is their most rock ish song. Yeah, it's up there. Definitely. I mean, with their guitar, the their guitar riffs, that just feels like rock to me. Yeah. Um, then you've got Strange Magic. Um, I think one of their greatest ballads. And this was their first top ten album as well. And this was this was a turning point in their career also. Um and whether it was intentional or not, I mean, I think after Strange Magic in 75, after this album, you know, they got more radio friendly. Yeah. Which, you know, yeah. I mean, I don't know if it was just what they were doing and what was of the moment, but, you know, or if that's what where they were intending. I mean, they say they weren't intending that, but everybody always says that. But another great song. Um, then the band's first ever top 10 single um, can't get it out of my head from El Dorado in 1974. Another really great song. Um, and then, then there's something strange that happened for me. This is when I was like, I didn't. I heard the song and I didn't recognize that it was them. 1979's "Don't Bring Me Down." 
<laughs> their highest <laughs> charting single ever in the U.S. It reached number four. I mean, every I remember at the time everybody was singing that song. Um, really don't know where I feel like that just came out of left field. I don't know. That's me. There's a Isn't great that- story behind that. The oh yeah. Chorus. Do you know that one, Sailor? Were you about to bring it up? Go ahead. About where he goes, don't bring me down. And then at the end, I guess most everyone thought it was Bruce <laughs> after that. Yeah. But I guess Jeff Lynn said that originally, it, it was just kind of, I don't know if he was just kind of playing around. He just kind of threw in a Bruce just <laughs> as a, and I guess there was someone on um, in the studio or someone who was German speaking and like, oh, Gruß, that's like a German greeting or whatever. And then so he thought that was really cool and kept it in there. And then, you know, after so many years, you know, people hearing that as a Bruce that he said, eventually they said, forget it. And so they just sing it as Bruce now. <laughs> it's uh, We've seen this before, though, with other bands we've covered where their breakthrough song that shoots them to the top of the charts might not be what brought them to the dance originally. It might not sound like what brought them to the dance originally. Uh, you know, I think of Bowie, like, you know, let's dance. Like that was his mm-hmm. highest, that was his highest selling album, right? Mm-hmm. Highest charting song. And mm-hmm. he had been doing it for a very long time already. And it was really like nothing else he had ever released before. So it's not foreign, but it is kind of weird. Yeah. That Definitely. was uh, Bowie's 90215. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. What was that? Mm-hmm. Even ZZ Top to some extent too. I mean, when you look at the their albums in the eighties, the you know the ones that Ed really Eliminator. likes, Eliminator, yeah, <laughs> they're yes. so great. But I mean, but I mean, th- <laughs> but I mean, think of what they, the foundation that they had laid before that, yeah, yeah. The releases. I mean, yeah. exactly. It, it's a silly world. Well, I don't know. I mean, I guess I when you're when I you're don't trying dress to like I did times, thirty years ago doesn't mean I'm not me. No, it means I'm I've evolved. I mean. I'm the first one to say I hate Metallica's new music, but yep. they get to evolve. You know, everybody has that right to evolve, and that's what we see happening. And all of the examples that you said, I mean, for Christ's sakes, Bowie had been through like 10 different personalities at that point when Let's <laughs> Dance came out, you know. Um, that's true. But I, I, I just, I remember, I, I thought he was saying Bruce also, and I remember like, riding my bike and then we went by some older kids and we were hanging out with them and someone said ELO and I was like what because my mom listened to she had several of their records and that's how I discovered them and I just didn't see the connection um I think much like I would say is immigrant song from Zeppelin like a true Zeppelin song like does that fit in their own genre of rock I would think that's like a prog rock song for them I can see that. I agree. Well, I if you're going to go to Zeppelin from Prague, I would look at something like an Achilles Last Stand or something off, you know, almost anything off of like Presence. Sure, sure. You're it got more prevalent as they, you know, as the years went on, but. Yeah. 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 Well, and even in Prague, you've got Genesis with the Peter Gabriel years, oh. which I love. Same. Uh, and then in the later years, which like are fine, but like you'd think they were two completely separate bands. <laughs> Same with Sid Barrett and Pink Floyd. Like I'm a Sid Barrett girl and you can't even, you would never recognize it as the same band. I, I totally, totally agree with you. And yeah. 
I think that's such a, the, those were really great examples, especially the Genesis one. I yeah. mean, most people don't even know Peter Gabriel was, yeah. you know, one of the original members in Genesis, even though we know who Peter Gabriel is. Yeah. You know, well, I, you want to lose a whole night of your life. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. If you want to lose a whole night of your life, look up old live footage of Peter Gabriel Genesis, oh. where he's wearing costumes and, and the dresses. And, and the oh my dresses God, it's amazing. <laughs> And then, have you ever have you ever heard the interview when they found out he was leaving the band? No, <laughs> they were about to start a show, and someone comes running and says, "Hey, mate, look at this newspaper article. He's left the band, and they're about to go on stage. It's I hilarious." It. I love it. Okay, I need to look that up. That's fantastic. <laughs> it's really, really good. Um, I think the Moody Blues also, I would say, kind of belong in that category as well. I mean. I think they're a good cross between progressive and psychedelia, don't you think? The only yeah. thing I know from Moody Blues is your wildest dream. That's that's all you know of the Moody Blues? At least that's all that I, you know. That's more than I know. So <laughs> oh, you guys! I may definitely know there more may than be that. songs I would recognize but yeah. not know it's them. But that's yes. the only song I can identify as a Moody Blues. And that was me with ELO. <laughs> no, it's true. I heard all these I songs before. I believe it. But I never put two and two and two mm. and two together. Mm -hmm. Like I've heard it a million times and it's the oh, it's the same band that does, you know, Showdown, which is really the only song that I equated with them. So. But for, for prog rock should it be something like adding ten eight to fourteen thirteen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord. So would you consider tool to be prog rock? Prog Absolutely. metal. Yeah, absolutely. I saw King Crimson open for Tool, and that was like prog rock blue ribbon night for me. Uh, I consider them like a modern version of prog rock. They're mm -hmm. clearly more in the hard rock kind of classic rock and roll. But especially I feel like there's the rare bands that get more proggy as they go on, as opposed to the bands like that get more poppy as they go on. I think Jethro Tull's a good example of mm, like they started definitely. out a little heavier and then they mm -hmm. got more proggy. Yes, yes. yes. <laughs> like Aqualung to me yes. is like a metal precursor. Uh, and then they get like, you know, skating away comes along. <laughs> Whereas Tool, you've got like, I'm a huge fan of Tool. Um, I've seen them a number of times, but they get proggier as they go on. Um, and I dig that. And especially when they get really conceptual, um, towards like the chaos magic tree of life stuff later on. Like for me, that feels very proud. Yeah, I agree. And I think we've had, we have this discussion so many times about genres and subgenres and subgenres of subgenres. I just don't give a shit. Um, but it, you know, I would, it's funny because I would consider them more progressive metal, but it's really the same shit because metal is rock anyway. So whatever. But yeah, I think that that's a great example as well. And and also, if you look at like late 90s and early 2000s hardcore, we were trying yeah. to bring progressive rock back into, you know, indie music again with like the math core bands was a, you know, subgenre of a subgenre freaking term. Um, and I think that there's so many, I mean, especially from Massachusetts, Maggie, the math core capital of the world. <laughs> right? Right. I mean, MIT. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, there are, there are a lot of bands, I think, 
I think it also has a lot to do with. So there, I mean, I think we talked about botch once in a show for previously, I think coalesce, um, converge bands like this, you know, um, I don't know. Who am I forgetting? Dillinger escape plan. Converges to, uh, converges from the town where I used to distill in Massachusetts. Mm. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I remember hearing, some of them, especially Dillinger Escape Plan, I was like, oh, oh, I get, I get what they're doing. It's just, it's just a more like of the moment modern version of prog rock, really. Like I, it's, I've heard the influences. Yeah. And it's sort of like, you know, we talk in distilling, like, is it art or is it science? And like, it's not this binary. Like we used to think that you put the bubbling liquid in the other liquid and it started bubbling and it caught its magic and now we know that's yeast uh and so it's all the same you know sometimes we can explain it through science and sometimes we don't quite have the science for it but the art is the science the science is the art sort of like all these subgenres are kind of like they're just like a continuation you know of all these things that's a great way to describe it so i wonder maggie what do you think about post-progressive that whole category that's supposed to be of its own category okay talk to me more about this because i might i might not be hip on the terms because it's not ringing with me so it's supposed to be like king crimson and zappa is supposed to be post-progressive to me it's just another form of progressive rock (laughs) i'm like i don't understand the delineation for me court of the like yeah that's just and Brian Eno, of course, is Brian Eno. But yeah. how is he? He was from the seventies. How the hell is he post-progressive? I yeah. See, I don't know that term because I don't believe in it. <laughs> yeah, like like we were just talking about babies on fire, needle in the camel's eye. Like it has that orchestration. Mm-hmm. Something uh, Jeff from ELO said when he went back and re-recorded um, a lot of the tracks with his thirty years of experience and trying to like get it recorded properly. He's like, I, I just didn't know what I was doing back then, and now I do. He said that with some of the orchestration, he couldn't even hear the chords properly. And to me, like, that's cool. <laughs> and, yeah. like, that's okay. analog. That's proggy. <laughs> and I feel like you get that in some of those, like, Eno, which obviously, you know, huge arcs, huge variation, whole albums I would never say are prog. Um, well, he's also considered one of the founders of New Wave. Right. So then you have that kind of convergence happen right and the sound bathy stuff and exactly we could do a whole episode easily on on just jeff lynn and his career oh for sure right right i mean he's at the level of i put he'd say he's like another prince where he can do everything right he can produce he can play every single instrument but he doesn't he kind of stays in the background he's not the flashy rock personality that prince was but he's just as talented yeah so it's it's amazing i've got some of his other works here uh george harrison cloud nine he produced that album uh tom petty full moon fever he produced that album and you know traveling willberries i mean yeah i was part of the group and he this is amazing amazing album he's done you know tom petty is another great example of his more his later success completely and totally overshadowed his early stuff, which I think was so much better. <laughs> yeah. Great example. 
I am not yeah. a fan of most of his later stuff. And I think most people don't even know where he came from. Oh, and well, Jeff also had the opportunity to produce a Beatles song yeah. to Free as a Bird, which was written by John Lennon. And uh, he actually took John Lennon's, he had a recorded vocal track on that and mixed it in with the other members of the band in like 95, I think it was, and created and made that uh, track which is pretty amazing. Yeah. And if you're into audio production, I don't know if you guys know Tape Op. It's a free audio production magazine. It's great. You can probably just Google Jeff Lynn Tape Op, and he does tons of interviews about his production work, his setup, how he likes to record, what he's worked on. I mean, there's just interview after interview, like you said, on album after album after album. This is what I was going for. This is how I set it up. This is how I used click track. This is how I pulled this. Like, very, very cool stuff from him because he is he's just done it all i feel like <clears throat> another part of the series we should talk about what's considered like some of the bands that are considered in the post progressive it's really interesting when you kind of go like i spent way too much time the other night i went down a rabbit hole post progressive slash new wave um slash neo prog <laughs> slash post rock <laughs> slash avant rock what the fuck why does everyone have to create a fucking hole to shove a pigeon in i don't do you think that's do you think that's a sort of artist driven or do you think it's fan driven that they just have to put everything into its own little niche and create a new one if one doesn't exist I think I mean, it's like right. I think it's press driven. In my it's opinion, press driven. I okay. think so. Yeah, I would probably guess so too. I mean, they always want to pretend like they're the ones that I've got the scoop on the next, you know, style of music that's going to be popular, and I'm going to oh, claim it. Neo prog fucker rock or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, we we often will say silly phrases, and rather than saying like band name called it, we're like, that's my new genre. Like. Uh, our friend is a part of like the witch house scene, which I think is cool. I love witch house; it's awesome. But like, yeah, just being like, yeah, monster witch house—that's my new, my new genre. Like, just yeah, just call it a new genre. Yeah, <laughs> when, you, when you travel to other countries, you find out about genres you've never heard of over here too. Oh yeah, like when I was in, over in the U in uh, London a couple of years ago, I was talking to a lady at one of the uh, woman at one of the hotels, and she was. You know, we were just having a conversation, talk about, mentioned, bring up grime uh, music, which is Who? like another grime. Oh, grime? G-R-I-M-E, grime. Oh, grime. Like a, grime? A subgenre in the London, like, club scene. That's a new one I've never uh, heard yeah. of. Yeah. So, yeah, you can look it up and you can find a lot of examples of grime. it online. I did, but, um, yeah, it's it's there's just a billion little genres like that out there. So, because Paul's here, <laughs> why aren't prog rock bands jam bands? Well, I think there is an overlap, but I think, again, to me, the difference is just going to be, uh, you know, prog wants it to be exactly the same, and jam religiously wants it to be different. Um, also, as a musician myself, I can tell you that I completely and totally lack the talent uh, to play any sort of prog. Um, but I can jam for an hour without, without flinching. 
But if you want me to, if you want me to play something in particular time signature, I'm not going to do that very well. So, okay, hmm. I I don't know a hmm. whole lot about jam bands. So you're saying the jam band idea is that you just kind of improvise to a certain degree every time you play one of your Pretty songs. Much, yeah, it's an imp- it jam. That's the jam. The jam is the improv, okay. and you know it's a it's a music of the moment rather than something that's necessarily constructed. So you'll have frameworks or song. Somewhat, it's almost like a jazz sort of situation mm-hmm. where they don't talk about songs, they talk about charts. And I'm like, my son's really into jazz, and he talks about, oh, that's a great chart, man. What the fuck's a chart? <laughs> great, great jazz drummer, Bill Bruford <laughs> from no Yes. Yeah, um, His jazz drumming albums are phenomenal. I, I don't disagree. I, I like jazz too, but... Uh, yeah, to me, it's just it's that music of the moment verse is something that is much more written and constructed. Um, yeah, I feel like Polyphonic mm-hmm. Spree is a good example where it's very orchestrated. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it's clearly not a jam band, but it is very free-flowing, very improvisational, very music of the moment, but it's very orchestrated at the same time. It doesn't have the what Paul sort of, it feels like you're describing sort of a simple structure over which you play, um, if that makes sense. Well, I think they're trying to create, I mean, for me, I always felt like if you're trying to create a sound, you're not a jam band, right? You're, I think that's great. I think with prog rock, you're, create, you're trying to create a specific sound, whether it be on the song or a thematic sound on a whole album. But with a lot of jazz musicians and jam bands because Paul's a Grateful Dead fan, a deadhead, self-professed. Um, I mean, I once went to a dead show and I was the last time I went to one. It was the only time because I didn't get it. I, I mean, fair enough. You know, I was like, this song, is this is this the same? They haven't taken a break. I can't tell if they rolled on into the next song, which sometimes happens. And someone was like, no, man, this is like the same song. And I'm like, it's been 25 minutes. And it sounds like the same thing. And he was like, yeah, they're just getting started. And I was like, no. Thank God I wasn't on acid. (laughs) Maybe that's the problem. (laughs) (laughs) But that's that's me. I like a clear beginning and a clear end. That's just me. That's, That's what I like. So I didn't get the whole jam band thing and I didn't really get the, I didn't, I guess I, if someone had explained the concept to me, like they're going to, you know, they're going to start playing music, then they're going to find each other in the music and then they're going to travel together and they're going to travel apart and come back together. I might've seen it with a different eye or ear, you know, maybe that would have helped me a little bit, but um, yeah, still if I, I love jazz, but if I listen to jazz that gets too jammy, I'm just like, shut the fuck up with the horn or the <laughs> like, enough. I can't, it just gets to the point where I'm like my ears are gonna start playing. <laughs> Y'all know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I mean you could also you could also say that out of those jam band sessions or whatever, however you want to phrase it, there could come a piece of music that's more orchestrated later on down the line. Maybe. Right, or it is that not the point to find something within those jam sessions to? Yeah, I find out. I think it depends. If you're going to go back and listen to it, you can build a song out of it. Yeah, where an awful lot of songs come out of is you know, something of a jam. Yeah, um, 
just when we were talking earlier, I just read a story about when they were recording Sweet Child of Mine. And uh, the producer, you know, they got the whole thing, they record the song. And the producer's like, yeah, we just we need like an outro. We need something to come after this ripping solo. Yeah, but where do we go now? Axel's sitting there, where do we go now? Where where do we go now? The like, guy right, go in there and just sing that. <laughs> that's yeah, awesome. We're gonna listen to that song. The so same great. Again. Well, you can imagine, like you know, when you're just like mindlessly walking around, and you're like just singing, like I'm picking up the mail, picking up the mail, picking up the mail. You know, <laughs> that's where we go now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I can totally see that. <laughs> oh man. Well. I think that this is a good place to uh, create an ending to our show, since I like things to be wrapped up with a little bow um, and not run on forever. Um, Where do we go now? I can <laughs> also hear the guy down the road with the megaphone, so crap over oh, that start. So. <laughs> um, all right, so I'm gonna I'm gonna exit us with Xanadu because we just have to. Um, just want to me- want to mention a couple little things really quick. We have a new website, you guys. Go to metalrockwhiskey.com and check out our new website. We have a new feed for our podcast as well. Um, And I am hosting a really super cool Southwest Whiskey virtual tasting event on August 10th. You can go to my website and get a tasting box. We'll be featuring Whiskey Del Back, um, Big Nose Kate, and um, Santa Fe Spirits. Um, really, really cool. We'll get to meet the makers um, on a Zoom and talk to them and hear about how they are, pun very much intended, changing the landscape of American whiskey, um, which is just really, really cool. Um, so I encourage you to join us on that tasting. Um, we're also going to be taking a summer break. So this will be our last show um, until the fall. Just until the fall. We've got some housekeeping to do. Paul's giving the thumbs down. <laughs> <laughs> the last time you're on the show sometimes we need a break (laughs) work Um, (laughs) yeah i don't have enough where do we go now sailor where where do we go where do we go so (laughs) next next season next season next year whatever the fuck it is in the fall we're going to be coming back with new show format all kinds of new fun stuff um really awesome guests like maggie and paul um and we're going to be doing some really really fun stuff so i'm looking forward to that i thank you both so very much um especially you maggie i know you've got festival about to happen um where can people find you guys on the social medias thank you so much for having me this was really fun i really appreciate being invited um you can find me at half pint maggie on instagram uh, I am at Paul M. Poletko, uh, as well as at Few Spirits across all of your social medias and so on. Awesome. Um, highly recommend to all my whiskey friends out there listening to this, go grab yourself um, a bottle of Mount Gay rum. Check it out. Um, you know, another brown spirit. We can call it like a sister to the whiskey um you you will not be disappointed so let's expand our palettes just a little bit and you can find my tasting notes on our new website as well on the tasting whiskey review portion also and uh yeah if you're able to at this point when this comes out still get a bottle of motor oil do it don't be a dummy get a bottle and 
All right, uh, Matt, Ed, where can they find you? So they can find me if you want to see pictures of my cute kids or what I'm drinking. You can find me at Iconic Dad 24/7. Or if you care about my, uh, if you care about or you care about my opinion on professional wrestling, you can find us at Wrestling with Respect. Uh, we are also on hiatus. We will be coming back with a also a new format and some great guests sometime in the fall, probably around Thanksgiving. And if you want to find me, you can primarily find me on Instagram at Bourbon Geek, just like it says right there. <laughs> awesome. Well, Maggie, please come back anytime. Um, we'd love to have you again. It was super fun um, hearing your knowledge on the subject, which is extensive. And I'm sure we just touched the surface. So I really appreciate you joining us. Oh, I appreciate you guys having me. Thank you so much. Thanks, Maggie. Thanks. Thanks, everybody. All right. Well, on that note, uh, how about a little bit of a Xanadu? Yeah. Yep. Yeah.